Good morning, everybody. Let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> we welcome all of you that have joined us wherever you're at around the globe or get this podcast. Welcome you into our service this morning. All of you that are here in the building, we welcome you and we thank God for the weather in Kentucky, right? It's different, different every day here in Kentucky. He knows what we need. Uh, the last Sunday of this month will be our celebration time, so there'll be a lot of stuff going on. We're going to celebrate uh, God's blessing on this building and then, of course, the, the years of uh, ministry for Basilea, the parent organization. So there's a lot of good news going on with that. <clears throat> and, of course, you know many of those things we've done. The satellite has just acquired its own location. Uh, so that satellite is being processed this month, uh, the location. And so uh, at some point we'll be sending our signal in there. And, of course, we're doing a lot of groundwork down there already. So uh, we just thank God for all he's done. You're going to see a lot of pictures and different things from around the world that have been going on for the last 15 years. And a big part of that is what your, this campus that we have here in central Kentucky and Danville. So let's give God some praise for all he's done. Amen. <laughs> but the most important thing that's happened in, in the ministry is the salvations. As I've told you before, Steve, uh, you know, we've baptized and, and a lot of people have been saved in the last couple of years here especially, but over the time, uh, Stephen and them have baptized countless people. In fact, they've had to stop baptizing in the middle of for getting shot at while they're baptizing. So uh, we might have a snake fall in the water. That's not too bad <laughs> compared to... I shouldn't have said that. Some of you are never going back to the creek, are you? <laughs> Uh, but uh, we've been given power over the serpents, amen? amen, to tread upon them. But we just thank God because there's a lot of folks that are on their way to heaven because God chose to raise up a ministry and you all and all of us to be a part of that. So we're thankful. For that. And we know that we don't make anything happen. We know it takes the Holy Spirit to do everything, every single thing in our lives, not just salvation. So we ought to wake up every day with appreciation in our hearts because we could not draw another breath if it weren't for the Lord. Can you say amen? So I want to read to you from Psalm 100 and encourage you to do this this morning. It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. You know, that's what they did on that last trip around Jericho. Amen. And the walls came down. And he says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now look at your neighbor and see if they're smiling this morning. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Stomp your feet. I appreciate that. Uh, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. That's what we're getting ready to do. We enter His gates, and we're close to working with that uh, prayer journey again as the Lord leads. But He says, uh, Come to the presence of the Lord with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. Now, that's a good word. We don't get out here somewhere. I had an old-timer years ago, and one of the Bible studies went on to be of the Lord, said, We're bad for saying, Okay, Lord, you got us this far. We'll take it from here. How many knows that don't work out too good? Uh, we need to keep, follow Him, right? 
He made us, not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of His pasture. Let me tell you something about sheep. They're kind of one track and dumb sometimes. That's why we need the Lord watching over us. Amen. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Who's got something to be thankful for? Let me hear some of them. I'll start it off. I thank God for His Word. Peace. Salvation. Long-suffering. Protection. Healing. Guidance. Love. Church family. Encouragement. Mercy. Forgiveness. Restoration. Grace. I didn't hear that one. Amen. Mercy. And rebuke. I'm glad the Lord rebukes us, right? I'm glad He puts those little things in the uh, alley where we bowl and keeps us in the lane. Thankful for that. Amen. He says, uh, enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. That's part of that prayer journey. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. Now, I don't care who signs your paycheck. It's God that sustains you. He, how many have noticed it? How many have had more than one vocation over your lifetime? Right? God takes care of us. He may use this vehicle this moment. He may use this vehicle the next season. But everything comes from His hand. Amen? He says, Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endures to all generations. We are products of that. Amen? We stand for the truth. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. He's worthy. The Lord is good. Amen. All the time. God is good. and We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. We praise you for your word. You have magnified your word above your name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord some praise this morning. <laughs> Children's church is dismissed. Nurseries are next door. Two nurseries are next door. We have uh, pagers you can get when you drop your child off. The rest of you may be seated. <clears throat> so I want to take you on a little trip today with um, a couple of concepts from the New Testament. I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament. Uh, and as you know, I've been on a crusade for 30 plus years to restore the Old Testament back to the New Testament church. God never intended for us to uh, do away with the Old Testament. But... So much of the modern church don't even uh, look at the Old Testament other than for historical value. But you can find everything in the New Testament in the Old Testament. It just gets opened up more and clear, uh, cleared up in the New Testament. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to take you there first. And listen to what the Holy Spirit says to us here about God's oh, people in the Old Testament. And, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, let's look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. 
all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock oh, was who? Christ. I mean, he was in the Old Testament showing up. So it's like a, there's like 17 sessions on the YouTube channel we have about the Holy Spirit. It's so false to say that the Holy Spirit wasn't here till the day of Pentecost. That's so, it's ignorant, really. The Holy Spirit was here in the Old Testament. He was there on the day of, days of creation. He was given on the day of Pentecost in a different measure, and Jesus talked about that. He told His boys, even in the New Testament, before the, His cross and before the Holy Spirit came, He said, The Spirit is with you, but He shall be in you. So there was a difference in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Then, but the Holy Spirit was around. Who do you think gave Samson that strength? In fact, Paul quotes or he speaks about Isaiah saying that when he wrote, he was being moved by who? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's always been around. He was giving him a different manifestation in the New Testament. Same thing with Christ. Christ was here before the foundation of the world. He was actually even slain. So he existed pre-Adamite. He existed before the Adamite world, before creation. He's always been around. So he's that one that followed them. The rock was Christ. So let's, that, that's, this is what bothers me sometimes about the modern church is they don't realize communion was going on before the Christ ever reinstituted. It was going on before the law. Actually, Abraham, Abraham and Melchizedek is how you say that. We call him Melchizedek. But Melchizedek and Abraham had communion before the law was ever given. So those things were going on. Baptisms were going on. Though. The Jews practiced baptism long before the church showed up. But all that was reinstituted in the New Testament. Why? Because all of that was pictures of what God wanted us to see from chapter 1 of Genesis all the way through Revelation 22 is His Son. All of those are pictures first of His Son, of what He is, what He does for us. So Jesus has been around forever, literally, amen. And so He is the only begotten Son of God. And so now we see the value of those things in the Old Testament trying to prepare us and trying to prepare the whole nation of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And when John said the, the Messiah's coming, make his path straight, what he's saying to us there in the Greek language is for you and I personally to get everything out of the Lord's way so he can come into our lives. He's not saying you get out in front of him and clear the road so he can get through all these trees down. <laughs> Looks like Halloween from where I grew up. All the trees were down at Halloween. So he's saying basically to us individually in that passage, he's saying get everything out of his way so Jesus can make entrance into your life. And that's what, what salvation is for, right? To come into our life. So Jesus is this rock that was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased with most of them. And I think that's true of the world today. He's not pleased with most folks in the world. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Jesus said, Many are going to destruction and few are going to heaven. Now just think about that. Jesus was way more serious about this stuff than we are, I think, right? He really tried to get to the heart of the matter on every issue with us. He said it'd be better for us to go through life without a hand or a foot or an eye than to miss heaven. Did he not say that? I got three amens. Did Jesus say that? He did say that. So he's serious about this, right? In other words, any obstacles that stand in the way from you being a follower of Christ, you need to get them out of your life. 
And then he says, Now these things became our examples, speaking of Israel, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So that's the, stra- the strategy of Satan is to catch our young people early and he's trying to get into their lives earlier and earlier, right, as we see with the education system, and to catch them and get them attracted to the lust of the world, those evil things. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, these people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now notice, I'm not against entertainment, but notice how much our culture is governed by that. We are governed by entertainment. We, that is the height of life. People can't, we, we want shorter work weeks so we can play more, right? And just on and on and on, we keep going further and further into being entertained and less and less into work-oriented. Uh, said, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Now, if you read this, the reason I'm reading this to you is because what was going on in Israel sounds exactly what's going on in America, right? And not just America, but the whole world. So I'm talking to everybody that's watching or listening to me, no matter where you're at around the globe. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, all right? So don't tempt the Lord. Don't get caught up in the evil things of the world. Don't just uh, spend all your extra time playing around, right? Give some devotion to the Lord. Then the next one, he says, Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Right? So he gives us all the things that were going on with Israel, and we can say all those things go on in our culture as well. Now, all these things happen to them as examples And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're living in a dangerous time. If you go to Timothy, Paul said these are perilous times. They're dangerous times. And why are they dangerous? Because there's so much deception, right? There there are dangerous places, of course, physically. But the real danger is the deception that's going around the world. Now we have people all over the world that want all, that say all the religions are the same, right? And that we all should worship our own God, a God of our own choosing. The Bible says that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one God, amen? And, I, and I, I'm taking up for Buddha a little bit here. Buddha never claimed to be deity. They, they made him deified 700 years after he was dead. But until Buddha and Mohammed... And Shirley MacLaine, has she died yet? The pusher of the New Age movement. I don't know. Whoever, until those people rise from the dead, I'm sticking with Jesus. Amen. He rose from the dead. So these are our examples. All of this, this is what God's saying. Look at all this. This is what will, you need to learn and understand because this can get you in trouble. It can make a difference. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. I want to read a couple of verses, and then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. In Revelation chapter 1, let me show you something the Lord. Lest you get caught up into thinking that the Lord's not speaking to you and I in certain parts of the Bible. Let me say a thing to you. We're all His creation. He made the Jews and Gentiles, and if you're not a Jew, Gentiles include every other race. So He made everything. He made all of us, right? And, and in Acts chapter 17, lest we, this, this should stop all racism. Dead in its tracks. Doesn't matter what color your skin, red, yellow, black, or white, doesn't matter. In Acts 17, the Bible says God has made every nation out of the same blood. 
So there shouldn't be any racism anywhere in our world. Shouldn't be in the church, shouldn't be in your family, shouldn't be anywhere. Because we all have the same blood flowing through us. God is a God of uh, variety, I could say it that way. Look at flowers, right? Uh, for my sake, you could have a rose and do away with the rest of it. I think a rose is the top of the line. But carnations are beautiful, right? Lilies are beautiful. God is a God. He loves variations. And so He made some of us all different skin colors, but we all have the same blood running through our veins. That should stop every bit of racism in its tracks. Can you say amen? Now, so everything in the Bible is for our learning. God's speaking to us. In, in Revelation chapter 1, there's three things I want you to know. You're His creation, right? He told us to pay attention to how Israel was treated. That's for us to understand so we can learn from that. And he, we are also the offspring of Abraham, especially those of us who are the house of faith. And then here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, he says, um, Grace and peace uh, from him who, has, uh, who, ha, who, ha, who is, who was, and who is, is, and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Can I get amen? And, and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. So we've, we, in every way, God has brought us into the camp. Or at least offered to bring us into the camp. So we're part of His creation, right? We can be His sons and daughters. He's made us kings and priests. He told us Gentiles to pay attention to what He did with Israel because we need to learn from the same lessons they have. So what you hear in the Bible is for you. Turn around to your neighbor and say it's for you. Now, don't anybody leave because we're going to go to the last book of the Bible. If you're Italian, his name's Malachi. He's an Italian prophet. If not, his name's Malachi to the rest of us. Let's go to the book of Malachi chapter 1. And I'm going to spend some time in Malachi, maybe this Sunday and next Sunday. And I want to share with you how God views unfaithfulness. This book is really about bringing God leftovers. That's what it's about. And so uh, God is going to instruct Israel. He's going to give them some ways out, but He's going to identify the problem. And this is America it's part of the modern church. It's the whole world. When you read this book, it's a message to the entire planet, especially America, I think, and especially the American church. We need to pay attention to what God is instructing here in Malachi. In verse 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord to, the, is to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. And we could all say amen to that. But he challenges them because he knows their heart, right? He says, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And, he, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals and the wilderness. Now if you study Esau and Jacob, they show us a picture of a lot of things. Number one, Esau was born first, and then Jacob. There is a message that God gave, prophesied about these guys. He said the older 
will serve the younger. Now that's another picture of salvation. You are born physically first, somewhere on your journey, and if you're not there yet, you can be this morning. Somewhere in our journey, we give our lives to Christ. So we call that being born again, being saved, redeemed, however you say that. But Jesus calls it being born again. So that is a picture of what God's showing us here. We are, when we're born again, the older man, which is the natural guy, is now to submit to the spiritual man, which has been given life by the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ. So now this older man is supposed to submit to the younger man, which is the spiritual man. So you may have been born in 1970, and you may have gotten saved or born again in 1999. So that 29-year-old dude is now or dudette, is now to surrender to the spiritual man that's come to life inside. Now Esau represents the work of the flesh, and that's why God is speaking the way He's speaking here about Esau. Jacob represents the work of the Spirit, and that's why he's talking, that's why he's using this kind of language. With Esau in Genesis, and it's restated again in uh, Hebrews, the Bible says he despised his birthright. That doesn't mean he hated it. He, 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 it means he thought it was useless. And actually, the New Testament tells us that Esau placed no value on spiritual things. He placed no value. In other words, and this is how a lot of people live, right? Their physical life is more important to them than their spiritual life. You can tell that by what they prioritize, some people's jobs, some people's retirements. You can look at their checkbooks, whatever. You can see what people prioritize. And, they, they, and this was what was wrong with Esau. He placed no value on spiritual things. And because of that, he was willing to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup, beans, and cornbread. I put that in my own word, by the way. Lentils, he, a bowl of beans. So he, he was, he, he come in from hunting, said he thought he was about to, he wasn't about to die. You know how we use improper language, you know. So he placed no value on spiritual things. Now think about your own life. Think about your situation. That are you play, is God first? Is He first? And that's really going to be the challenge here in this book. So Esau represents the work of the flesh, and, and he placed no value on spiritual things. And so if you look at your life and see what you place value on, that will help you understand where you're at with God in every way. And, and we have standards here in this body. So you just can't do anything in this church without being faithful. You can come. Whosoever will can come. You can partake. You can be a part of anything. But you're not going to have any level of position unless you're faithful. Because that, that's, that's, God's not going to honor that. He's not going to honor people who are not faithful. And what happens to the person who's not faithful, we, we miss out. We're hurting ourselves. I've seen this before. You know, I've been doing this a long time, all right? And I've seen all any dynamic you can see in the church. I've seen the flesh. I've seen people get in the flesh. I've seen people get mad and angry and withhold things. I can tell you God takes care of His body, right? What happens is, if I get crossways and become unfaithful, it don't stop God from taking care of His body. It, it, it just... It just causes me to miss out. If I get offended, I'm the one that's going to suffer for it. 
Then I, I've got stories after stories. I've told you all this before, but when I first, my first church I took, I went, we grew from 26 to 12 the first week. Nobody, everybody wasn't happy for the new sheriff in town, right? So over time, some people started withholding their tithe and just doing all kinds of things to make their point, right? They only, because I can tell you, and it was to blow my mind, that I would go to the mailbox and find a $3,000 check in it from somebody that didn't even go to the church. God's going to take care of it. When you're not faithful, you're just hurting yourself. When you get offended, you're just hurting yourself. I, I remember one of the guys' testimony. He's the pastor in Louisiana, and he was telling his story, and he said that he, uh, he had a similar situation, that he went to church and the, they was preaching the Word. Some folks got mad at it because they were used to having their way, whatever. And so they all started withholding their money. And he said he went and he was upset and concerned that the church was going to survive. And he said that week, and they were a small church at the time, he said that Wednesday night he preached and there was a $1,000 check in the offering. Sunday morning, same thing, another extra 1000 Sunday night, same thing. Finally, he said there was only one guy that was different in the whole crowd. He said he didn't look the part. He looked like he was in a motorcycle game. And he said, he's the only guy that was different, and I couldn't figure it out. He said, so I went to him after church. He said, listen. He said, I don't know what you're doing and how, how you're getting all your money. He said, but you're going to go broke trying to keep our church up. And the guy said, uh, Pastor, do you preach tithing? He said, well, yeah, we, we, we preach tithing. He said, well, that's all I'm doing. He said, I got saved a few weeks ago, and I own a trucking company. And he said, all I'm doing is tithing. And so the Lord, the Lord will take care of his body. We, we can see that. that. And I've proved that over and over and over for 30-some years. But when we're not faithful, we're just hurting ourselves. Can you say amen? amen. And that's what you're going to see here. He says, he says, even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, thus says the Lord of hosts, that they may build, but I will throw down. So here, this, was, this happened, I don't know if everybody remembers this, in 9-11, two congressmen, one from each party, got up in, in the middle of our Congress after 9-11 and quoted from Isaiah chapter 9. And what they quoted was where God had judged Israel and they said, we're going to come back and build stronger, we're going to get different stones, we're going to have huge stones, we're going to have different trees, we're going to build back. In other words, Israel was defying God. And our congressmen were so ignorant, they didn't realize what they were saying or reading. They were reading a passage not to rally the people to honor God. That particular passage is talking about God's people who've been brought low by God, refused to receive the instruction and the discipline, and they're just turning around saying, we don't care what you do, God, we're going to come back and build again. That's what was going on in Isaiah, but our Congress, I need, we need to say stay in your lane or go out and do some studying first before you get out in front of the world and do what you're doing. But they were actually defying God. They were using the passage that was defying God because they took it totally out of context. That's what's happening here. They're, they're saying, we're going to go back and build, and God said, I don't care what you do, I'm going to bring you back down. Now, Edom, these are the descendants of Esau, and you can follow that line, I think, all the way into Herod, who worked against God's stuff. So you've got a group of people who have went astray for the most part because they lived after the flesh instead of the Spirit. And so he says, They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. 
your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Now he's going to get into some things that are going to be encouraging to all of us, he says, and continue to reprove us as well. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, God's talking about himself, where is my honor? If I am the master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name. So now he's going to go after the leadership in the spiritual realm as well. But we're all kings and priests. Dad, your dad, you have a responsibility to lead your family in Christ. And mom has a role to play in that as well. So we've all been made kings and priests before the Lord. So he says, if a, if a son honors his father and a servant his master, he says, if I'm a father, God says, where's my honor? So Israel at this time had got caught up in materialism in their own lives. Israel was much like America at this time. If you study the history of Israel, if you read Habakkuk and some of these prophets, you'll find out that Israel was very blessed. Many of them had multiple homes, vacation homes, all kinds of different things. They were a very wealthy, blessed nation. But what happened over the course of the time, they started getting involved and caring more about that stuff than they did the Lord's stuff. And, I, and, and this happened uh, years ago when I was in ministry. Two, two families, two separate families, both of them were really blessed along life's journey. They both wound up being really blessed. Both of them wound up buying houseboats. I'm not against houseboats. If you got one, I'd like to borrow something. I like houseboats. But both of these families bought houseboats. One of them we never saw again, and the other one kept it in perspective. So that's what happened to Israel. That's what happened to us. That could happen to us. Some people get wrapped up in the craziest stuff, don't they? And so we can get those things in front of God. He said, where's my honor? Then he says to you priests who despise my name, make light of it, useless. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Or you offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled by saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer a blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Or offer it, when you're, uh, offer it then to your governor. Right? I mean, think about this in context. They were basically bringing God whatever they wanted to bring Him. They weren't bringing what He asked of them. Now, I believe, everybody says what the preacher believes. I believe that's what happened with Cain. Cain obviously brought the wrong sacrifice. And he pro because he was a tiller of the ground, he probably had beautiful orchards, raspberry vines, blackberries, strawberries. He probably had everything beautiful. Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but that's what God had asked for, right? He said, if you're going to come and sacrifice, and you need to bring a sheep, right? So we see all that in the Scripture. So Cain most likely brought a bushel full of apples or whatever, right? And said, here's my sacrifice. But that wasn't what God had asked for. What he should have done was said, hey, Abel, I've got strawberries and apples. I need to trade them for one of your lambs so that I can take the proper sacrifice to God. But it wasn't important enough to him. Are you following me? He despised it, placed no value on it. So he just come in, and a lot of folks are this way in our culture. He just said, well, God ought to be happy with whatever I give him. Really? Should he? 
He gave you everything and you can't even meet the minimum requirement? Should he just be happy with whatever you got left over? Well, that good lamb over there, we're going to eat that one on Passover or Thanksgiving. They didn't have Thanksgiving then. But I'm just going to take this one. It's got its eye out. It's not got much. Really? Is that how you feel about God? But that's the way our culture is for, for sure. And sometimes even inside the church people are that way. So he goes on to say, he says, uh, offer then our governor, he would be pleased with you. He says, go offer your governor that. Go to the king and say, hey, here's a lamb called Lucky. He's missing a leg, but have him. You can have him. We think a lot of you, Mr. Governor. Uh, call Frankfurt or D.C. and say, hey, we're not sending our income tax in this year. Just like it. We'll get you a fruit basket instead. <laughs> That's not going to go over very well, is it? And, but it really makes no sense. If you understand what's really at stake, and if you live long enough, and you understand that life is just like a vapor, man, our greatest investment should be in the Lord. I mean, heaven and hell's at stake, eternity, all that. When you really let it sink down in what's most important, there's really no decision to make, right? There's no decision to make between heaven and hell if you really look at it soberly, right? You should get saved. <laughs> because going to hell shouldn't really be an option. So he says, go tell your governor, take him what you, treat him how you do me. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Favorably, says the Lord of hosts. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? In other words, he's just basically what happened with Cain. Cain was not accepted because he just didn't do. And a lot of times that can stop us. We just don't want to take the time. To spend with God. We just don't want to do it. We just don't want to stop and take the time. And he says, uh, he says, who is there among you even who would shut the doors? I have no pleasure in you. On down in verse 10, he says, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. Because they're not doing what he asked. They're not putting him first. Now, uh, uh, putting God first, all right, that almost sounds egotistical. If we he said, well, how come God has to be first in everything? Right? Who's he think he is? Well, let's talk about that. You couldn't have life at all if it weren't for God. You couldn't have any offspring, any children, any life, nothing. You couldn't even take another breath. Even the most wicked people in our world could not live if God said, ah, you're, you're out here. So God's in charge. Everything Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says in James, comes down from the Father of lights. And here's the thing about Christianity that some people can't really wrap their head around. Here's the thing about Christ. If I love God first, what happens is my capacity to love and produce grows. The trick of the flesh and of the world is, let me go after this, whatever this is. It can be whatever. And if I give myself to that, I'll be the... No, that's not how this works. God says, you put me first and all these other things, Matthew 6, 33, will be added unto you. So if I love God, here's what I'm saying. If I love God first, I can love my wife better. 
If I love God first, I can love my children better and you better. I have a greater capacity to love when I love God first. I have a greater capacity to produce. If you're doing stuff on your own, then you're producing what you can produce. If you're giving it to God, and let, then now you bring God into the equation. And he talks about that later on. I don't know if we'll get that far this morning. He says, uh, from the rising, For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And here we are. Most of us, if not all of us in this room, are Gentiles, and God's name is great among us. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering... For my name shall be great among the nations. And that's happened, says the Lord of hosts. He, you've got Christians all over the globe. Some of them paying heavy prices to be a part of the body of Christ. But you profane it. The ones who should know better. The priests, the people of God. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And its, fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh what a weariness. Oh, you, and you sneer at it. That's what happened. You, people get weary in serving the Lord or whatever because they're not building relationship. They're not putting God first. You cannot live victorious unless God is first. You're going to continue to struggle. God's got to be first in your life. He says, says the Lord of hosts, You bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus say you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. So he's saying, you're just giving me the leftovers. And, and that's how we do God with time if we're not careful, right? We get up early, we exhaust ourselves all day, and God gets the last 10 minutes as we fall asleep on Him in our day. We should give God the first fruits of our time. He should get some time first with us in the morning before we're worn out and falling asleep at the end of the day. We, this whole book, it's going to talk about offerings. It's going to talk about the altar. It's going to talk about tithing. It talks about all that. But this whole, the theme of this book is giving God what's left. And just being nonchalant about how we treat God. And so he says, you're going to bring all that? He says, but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Now see, I, I just let me just be as real as I can be. Forget your feelings for a minute, and forget you, your ability or what you may think is your inability to put God first. Here's the only thing you need to know. God gave us His best. We should turn around and give Him ours. Amen. Somebody give the Lord praise for that. Now, I've been trying to get across to you the benefits of being faithful, but forget all that. More than that, if God gave us His best and we know He did, then we should turn around and give Him our best in everything. I've shared this story before. It's happened a couple of times. I've been pastoring for a long time, and I've had a couple of people who, when they come to church, they dress really nice, almost to where they, I mean, look like they're clergy or whatever. And, and I had somebody make fun of one of them one time. And I said, now hold on just a minute here. I said, that person right there grew up in a home where they were taught to give God their best. And what they're wearing is their best. I said, now what's wrong with that? Amen. Not a thing. I know people get religious with that kind of stuff. But if your heart is right 
and you're just simply bringing God your best in whatever you're doing, not how you're dressed or whatever. That's how we're all supposed to live. Has anybody in this building or around the globe, has anybody so far been able to outgive God? And as we honor God with whatever, time, money, whatever, how can you put a price on a salvation? You can't. You can't put a price. So me being faithful produces fruit in my life and prayer life and whatever God does to bring fruit, He don't necessarily have to trade me one for one. Right? He may do something else I've been praying about. What if you've been faithful to God to do what He's asked you to do and all of a sudden He saves that person that's been lost for 56 years? Where's the, there's no price tag for that. Amen. Now let me tell you something else not being faithful will do. It gives Satan an entrance into us. And he's able to beat us up with it. I mean, has anybody ever had that experience besides me? The de- if we're not faithful, when trouble comes, the devil starts beating us up with it. That's how he works, right? He uses condemnation on us so that we get deflated and it starts working against our faith. And so really God's trying to get these people here on track. Why? He's all God no matter what they do. You understand that? Same thing for us. God's all God whether you and I are on His team or not. God didn't get better or more powerful because you and I signed up. He was all God before I showed up. He'll be all God after I'm gone. Right? His kingdom didn't stop when John the Baptist left. So He's all God. He... God, He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. God exists internally. I mean, in other words, God needs nothing outside of Himself to exist. That can't be said of any other creature. He's omnipotent. He's everything. So God needs nothing external brought into Him to cause Him to exist. He exists internally. None of us are that way. We are dependent on everything from Him. From oxygen to food to whatever. Only God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they exist inside internally. They need nothing outside of themselves to exist. That can't be said of a dog, of a cat, of a human, of a horse, of a tree, of anything. So God created everything. And how He's asking us to treat Him as such. The reason I used to, and some of you heard me say this, but before I restudied Isaiah again about 20 years ago, I used to think sexual immorality was the last straw before God judged the nation. But it's the next to the last straw. Idolatry is the last straw. If you read Isaiah, you'll see that clearly. But the reason people turn to idolatry once they get stooped in sexual immorality is because they need to relieve their conscience. And so they cannot go to God and get that relief because He's telling them you've got to repent, right? But they, so they turn to these false gods who are okay with sexual immorality. A lot of the rituals, uh, especially back in their day, uh, around these false gods were built on sexual immorality. And so, in you in sexual immorality, if I'm going to stay stooped in that, my conscience is either going to drive me in the dirt, right? Or I'm going to have to go find somewhere to agree. And once that happens, these people start giving that false god, that idol, the credit. And Isaiah talks about all that. He said, how do you look at that God and say, thank you for feeding me? In fact, so he goes on to say, he said, you cut down a tree, make an idol, and then what's left of the tree, you burn in the fire. He said, somebody, if he were in our day, he'd be saying, here's your sign. 
Somebody wake up, right? Because the same substance you made this God out of, you destroyed over here. You have power over this substance of this false God. And how, what a slap in God's face to kneel in front of a stone or a piece of wood and act like that wood or that stone is give you life. But yet they turn to that because it gives them a license to continue practicing sin. Jesus said men love darkness more than light, therefore their deeds are evil. And so that's what happens to these people. And he says, oh, he says, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. He says, and now, o priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and we're all kings and priests, right, in the New Testament, if you will not take to heart, he's trying to get them to turn, right, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. I will, you know, I try to remember this. When somebody gives me a compliment, I try to, most of the time, try to bring the Holy Spirit into the conversation. Say, well, I, you, some of you heard me say, I, I have a lot of good help. The Holy Spirit helps me. God, I, but it shouldn't just be a preacher. All of us should do that. I don't care how big your retirement is, you ought to thank God for it. Because He can shut a door that nobody can open. He can close a door uh, or He can open a door that nobody can shut. Everything we have has come from His hand. And surely the church has got to remember that. We got to know that. Everything we have. So all of us should be giving God the credit. We shouldn't be stealing His glory. That's what happened with Herod, right? The, the, the Lord spoke and Herod acted like it was Him. The Bible said He died right there on the spot and the worms eat Him. Now let me tell you something about God. He's good at sharing His glory. In fact, He tells us that. He will share His glory. But you can't steal it. Let it go to God first. Give Him the credit. Give Him the glory. He will return it. He will ask you and I and cause us to be seated in heavenly places with Him. He'll cause your enemies to turn. He'll do all kinds of wonderful things for you, but we cannot steal His glory. And it's not just preachers because we're all kings and priests. We need to make sure that when somebody is around us in our presence that we don't just take all the credit and say, yeah, I've worked hard and I've done a good job. And no! There are people on the street in cardboard boxes with master's degrees. God gave you an opportunity. See, I, I woke up the other morning when I went to prayer. I was so broken thinking about everything. We as Christians should be thankful that God has revealed Himself to us. That should humble us. It shouldn't make us proud and arrogant toward others. It should humble us that God has revealed Himself to us. That we have had opportunity to know Him. And then he goes on to say, he says, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. So what was once a blessing can be cursed. We cannot get our eyes off the blesser to the blessing. Enjoy the blessing, right? Let me take you to something that I use a lot here. Um, we, this is Stickman. Have I drawn him yet up here on the board? There he is. Well, let's make him happy. Okay. Yeah. Let's give him a little hair. So, stick man is saved and God brings blessing into his life. Right? Alright? Stick man's eyes need to stay on God. Right? You don't need to get them off on the blessing. Keep them on the blesser. God's design is so that stick man can be a blessing to other stick people, right? 
So he gets blessed. He blesses others, right? This is how it should work. This guy's pretty long-waisted here. <laughs> what kind of pants does he wear? And, and so he gets... <laughs> I'm going to have to get better at this, don't I? I miss my big board. So he, he's got all this. So what happens is, as long as he keeps his eyes on God, he gets blessed. And God's design is to bless him. He wants him to receive and be blessed. Then he blesses others. How many of you have noticed this? The more you're willing to bless, the more God will bring into you. He, you know, God's the best businessman in the world. If I had this side of the church that, uh, that moved my product, and if I were an owner of a product, and had this side, and I brought both sides' product, and I come back 90 days later, and this side still had it stored in the barn somewhere, and this side had moved it off, guess what? I'm going to give them more product. I'm not giving y'all nothing. And that's how people are. They hoard. We're all hoarders if we're not careful. That's the nature of the flesh. Now, and I, I saw this first. My grandmother gave me so many good life lessons as a believer. She, never, she went to the sixth or eighth grade as far as she got to go, but she was a woman of faith. But she struggled with being a hoarder, what we would call a hoarder. But she went through the Depression. Now, she eventually came out of that. But I'm telling you, you could suffocate in some of the uh, material she had. She had so much material to make quilts and blankets. And, and she had beans stacked everywhere. And, I mean, and, and there was a need for that to some degree, but it was, that was her biggest struggle was overcoming that, right? She got out of it because she was... She was an awesome giver. I'll never forget her telling me, because she read her scripture. She said, she said, you ain't give nothing if all you're giving is a tithe. She said, the tithe belongs to the Lord anyway. He's just saying if you'll keep it. I didn't get one amen on that, did I? She said, when we start giving, it's when we bring an offering. And she said, and she wasn't offered. She, was, she supported Israel and all that. She finally got out of it. But that was her struggle because she went through the depression. Now, the problem is, stick man can get so caught up in fear and doubt that he will dam up his blessings, right? And once he does, he's not being a blessing to anybody else. So he gets all these blessings, and he starts hoarding them up instead of being a blessing. Now, what happens when you build a dam? The water starts getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Pretty soon, stick man found himself drowning. That, listen... And I, and I deal with this. Is God going to keep you till you're 70 years old and then drop you? Is that how this works? You mean He's protected you to take care of you this old way? And God's going to say, oh, you're on your own? That's not how this works. God's faithful. Can you say amen? amen. Now, I'm, I'm going to close in a minute. I knew Malachi wouldn't be a popular book, but... He says, Behold, I rebuke your descendants, spread refuge on your faces, refuge of solemn feasts, and one will take, take you away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my commandment with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant, excuse me, my covenant with Levi. My covenant was with him, one life, one of life and peace. Now, I want to ask you something. Has anybody ever been miserable before? Raise your hand if you've been miserable. Well, if you, you're, it's coming. <laughs> Cheer up, saints, it's going to get worse. 
But would you trade money for that? Not if you've lived long enough, you wouldn't, would you? Peace and life is what he's made a covenant with them for. And if you go back and read the scripture, God said he would take care of us. We're not going to lack anything. He's always going to take care of us. He said, I take care of the lilies, the sparrows. Surely he's going to take care of us. We should put that out of our mind. Now, some of you all have lived longer than I have. Right? Some of you, I remember when gas was 69 cents a gallon. Does anybody remember when it was cheaper than that? Some of y'all old, ain't you? <laughs> and here, what was it? Almost $5 a gallon a few months ago or whenever last year. And look at us. The Lord takes care of us. Eggs, you could get eggs when the new Kroger opened in Somerset. You could get eggs for 25 cents a dozen. Some places they've been six, seven dollars a dozen. And guess what? God takes care of us. We ain't got no complaints with Him, do we? He's faithful. He said He would never leave us nor forsake us, but He'd be with us to the end of the age. Somebody give Him praise. Amen. I got a lot to say, but we'll come back to Malachi or Malachi next week. It'll get better, I promise. Lick your wounds this morning and hang in there. Let's stand to our feet. God wants us to put Him first. And the reason He does is He's not on an ego trip. He's not on an ego trip. He's not trying to build Himself up. That's how it works the best. If, if I put God first, it keeps me in balance. It makes me be in a position to receive His blessings, His love, and His mercy. So you, you and I are called to be faithful. It's part of our witness. It is part of our witness. But it's a blessing to us when I'm faithful. If I'm doing things in my own strength, then when hard times come, I may not have enough strength to do it. But if I'm doing things in the strength of the Lord, He never runs out of strength. The young man who was in the backyard and he had a stone to move. He was only like nine years old and he was trying to move his, this stone in the backyard. He was trying to play or build something. And he couldn't move it. His father was on the porch watching all this transpire and his dad said to him, he said, uh, have you used all your strength? And the son said, yes, I've used all my strength. I can't move it. And he said, are you sure you've used all your strength? He said, yes. And the third time he asked his son, his son was aggravated this morning. Yes, I've told you. He said, no, you haven't. He said, you haven't asked your father to help. Don't let the devil talk you out of being in with your father. You may have got confronted this morning by the Holy Spirit because he says a lot of things to people I never say out of this pulpit. He takes the word and you hear what he needs you to hear, right? I mean, no. Because sometimes people say, man, I, I heard this. And I'm like, I didn't say that. Must have been. Not. That's why I say I got good help, right? Because the Holy Spirit takes a flawed individual and uses him to minister, and he gets that in you, right? So you may have heard something this morning and thought, man, I'm not being faithful there. What am I going to talk to your dad about it? Ask your father to come help you and watch him work. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this moment.
Everybody who's watching, people who may be lost over the airways, people here in this building, we just pray that as we open this altar up, anybody has a need, Lord. Maybe there's somebody who's never surrendered their life to you. Today's their day. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe somebody's sick and afflicted. Maybe there's a prodigal. Maybe somebody who's saying, you know what? I've not been faithful, but I'm ready to start today. The good news is, Lord, you don't make us go back and redo everything. You just say, today, today, do it right today. Start today. And God, I thank you that your word is real and that only anything you've asked us to do is only going to benefit us. You're all God, whether we're a part of what you're doing or not. You're never going to be less powerful. You're never going to be less rich. You're never going to be less knowing. Less, none of that's ever going to happen. You're all God. You're doing this for us. Jesus sacrificed His life for us. And we're thankful, Lord. If you're here this morning and you need to talk to God, you need us to pray with you, whatever your need is, come as this altar is open and we worship Him.